and the airplane's like, and it slides to the left, and while it's sliding sideways to the left, we hit a bump, and it jumps up in the air and comes down and comes to a stop. Thank you, Lord, I'm on the ground. I'm alive. This is my nightmare. I don't think I can make it through this anymore. I need to... You need to have another drink. Welcome to the first episode of the Amateur Experts. Joining us here, I almost said the name wrong again. Joining us is the one, the only, Dane Pruitt. Welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you, Alex. I'm glad to be here. It's the most formal thing I think I've ever heard you say. That was fantastic. Usually, uh, we let the guest pour the first thing. I see you have yours there. So, Hang on. Let me see that bottle. Go for it. Old print tradition. Everybody, you always kiss the baby. Bingo. We are drinking this fine Jack Daniels single barrel select, courtesy of uh, Bo Diddle's Liquor and our good friend Carl West. He's doing the plug already. We had him on the show, and it was awesome. I think. Uh, down the hatch. Awesome. Essence of Dane, kiss, courtesy Kiss of. the baby. What is is that? What that means? That was kiss kissing. I just kissed the baby. Yes, you did. You know, you fantastic. You don't have kids, but you know they come out and you kiss the baby. Is that how it happens? Gotcha. All right, sir. The uh, traditional clinking, and we will begin. First of all, what's your go-to whiskey? That's all I want to know. You got to pick one. Old Forester. Hmm. Actually, that's my latest go-to whiskey. My original's charter 10-year-old, but you can't get it. Not really? Yeah. That tough? Can uh, the warehouse burnt down uh, eight years ago. <laughs> Jeez. So all you can get now is charter eight-year-old. Gotcha. Man, I've, I've Angel's Envy is usually my go-to, but each one of these I'm so excited that we just get to try that's, something. That's smooth. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right, brother. I want to hear all about you. Just right. just to start off. I got my list. I have no clue where we're going with this. It could end up off the rails, but I have an idea. All right. Let me just give you my full history. I was born in Jonesboro, Arkansas in mm -hmm. 1968 while my dad was a uh, senior in college. Graduate. He graduated college in, uh, with a degree in accounting and small business management, moved and became a, a bookkeeper in Tunica, Mississippi for one year. Hated it cannot stand to be cramped up in an office mm -hmm. so he was an accountant for a year left tunica mississippi and we moved to a small town called baghdad arizona it's an actual place it's the uh probably was at the time the largest copper mine in the usa so my father's cousins lived in baghdad arizona so that's why i moved out there that's how i got my west coast accent i was raised in arizona to the age of three mm -hmm. so uh, that's how I got my West Coast accent. Love it. I just need to throw away my notebook right now. Yeah. I can I can already tell. It's not going to help me at all. So uh, <clears throat> my dad was working in the copper mine, and it's kind of funny because I heard the story for the first time this past year. He got in a fight with his boss and beat his boss up and got fired and had to leave Arizona and move back to Arkansas. So we loaded up the uh, Bel Chevrolet Bel Air and moved back to Arkansas to, to <laughs> Osceola, where my dad was. Uh, my dad was actually raised in a town called Etowah, twenty miles west of Osceola. 
E T O W A H. Gotcha. And uh, so we moved to Osceola when I was four, and I was went to all primary high school in Osceola. Uh, my dad was a pilot. While he was in Tunica, Mississippi, he started taking flying lessons in Memphis at uh, Wilson Air. So he has uh, he, he had always loved o- aviation. When he went to college, he uh, kind of wanted to go into aviation, but just didn't. Uh, my dad went to college on the GI Bill, so he should have mm-hmm. used his GI Bill money and got his pilot's license. But he always wanted—he was always a pilot. My whole life, I've been in airplanes. Uh, I've got pictures of me in diapers in airplanes. So, uh, really, yes. All through high school, my uncle was a farm manager, and his boss sent him to flight school to get his commercial license so he could spray their fields on their farm. It was, uh, it's called the Crane Farm in uh, Wilson. It's one of the largest farms in Arkansas. I started flagging fields for my uncle, the crop duster, when I was 10, 11 years old. Flagging fields. Yeah. Basically what that does is you you ride to the field with a white shirt on, mm. and then you he lines up on you. You start on the edge of the field, and then I walked 18 steps every time he flew over me. 18 steps and and you knew where to he knew where to start the next next deal so i did that all the way through middle junior high school up up into college how many times did you get sprayed you know not as many as you think we were smart we always walked into the wind so the spray would go the other direction there you go uh you know but at one time in our in early in our career we used to play a game called scare dane off the three-wheeler so he would come down over the three-wheeler really low and try to scare Dane off the three-wheeler. Nice. Well, there was a guy in Missouri was playing the same game in a crop duster, and he came down and hit his son in the head with the tail wheel of the crop duster and knocked him off the three-wheeler. Well, the guy came and landed the plane in the field, basically crashed the plane in the field, and he ran over and he picked up his son and it killed him. So we didn't play scare Dane off the three-wheeler anymore so wait so you said he crashed it after just in a blind fury attempt to get the thing on the ground and yes uh, yes he had you know he felt that the how, how old was the kid he's probably 12 13 14 something like that oh God. so uh jeez so scared dane off the four-wheeler was not a didn't we did not play that game anymore after that good uh so, you know, through high school or through teenage years of that, I would go out to the fields and, you know, it was get up at daylight, uh, work till dark, nine, ten o'clock at night. So I learned I could sleep on a rice levee. <laughs> but usually, most of the time when we were spraying in the rice fields, they were dry. Yeah. Uh, occasionally they were wet uh but most of the time but i could lay down on a rice levee and go to sleep in between loads yeah so he would do that so i worked for my uncle all through high school and uh when i graduated high school i was sick of chemicals i was sick of airplanes and i went to college at the u of a and i wanted to get a degree and uh get a good job Mm -hmm. so i went to the u of a i'd work spring break and summers to make money to afford college uh beer money in college uh and then uh i got a degree in political science from the u of a gotcha had my dad sold his airplanes uh 
wasn't around airplanes. My uncle has been crop dusting. He's still crop dusting to this day. He's got 38,000 hours or something oh, like that. How old is he? 72. 72 and still going. Still going. He's he's semi-retired now. He's kind of doing a fill-in job for a guy that he worked for. Uh, Just for grins, you can go of, out and, and mark for him? Nah, you know, the beauty of technology, GPS and all that, they have taken the uh, flagger position out of the deal. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I actually moved up. My brother was four years older than me. And uh, when he graduated high school and went to college, I got bumped up from flagger to loader. So I got to mix the chemicals then. Right. So you're standing all summer long, you're standing over a hot vat of chemical. It's fuming right up on you. So that's what happened. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Right, and, gotcha. uh, and, you know, in East Arkansas, we were very aware of our PPE equipment, which was personal protection equipment. You know, you had your T-shirt and your flip-flops on. Uh, that way you could take the water hose and rinse yourself off if it splashed on you. <laughs> and you'd be nice and dry. But, now, now we know what happened to you. Yeah, gotcha. exactly. Uh, I'm I'm kind of fortunate, though, because when I was doing it, uh, cotton was kind of in a down cycle. So we did not spray a whole lot of insecticides. We mostly sprayed herbicides, mm-hmm. killing Johnson grass and cuckleburrs and things like that. So uh, did that, got my degree, was not around airplanes 15, 20 years. Wow. Uh, I did not get back around airplanes or get in an airplane until my brother, who went to medical school and is a cardiologist, uh, had bought an airplane, a Cessna 120, like my dad had owned when we were growing up. And uh, he went out and bought one and then got his private pilot's license. And while he was uh, got his private pilot's license, he start, we started flying together again. So we'd go out and fly and, and that. And then I... Uh, now, now, had you, I mean, you said you grew up around airplanes and all that stuff, and you got the picture with the diapers and stuff. Had you flown much, I mean, yourself? I've, I'd never flown solo, but my right. dad would would let me fly the airplane. Mm-hmm. And I can remember when my dad went to take his commercial license, he had rented like a Cessna 152 and flew from flew to Newport to take his uh, commercial check ride. Mm-hmm. So I went with him. And I can remember him letting me fly over there and back. Right. But okay. I couldn't see over the instrument panel. <laughs> so as far as actual flying in, in any regards, I mean, you hadn't really other than just joyriding with the family. Just joyriding in the family and him him letting you uh, grab the controls and fly yeah. the airplane. So I had no experience flying. Gotcha. Uh, I can remember my dad, his favorite thing to do was, and he learned this out in Arizona because of the high density altitude, was to soar basically. Mm -hmm. And he would call it circling for green air. Uh, We'd be flying along and you'd feel the airplane rise in a thermal and dad would throw it up into a steep turn and start circling in the thermal to gain altitude. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, We're going to, we're going to use this green air. Gotcha. So green air. I love that. So we went from airplanes, airplanes, no airplanes. We have our degree, buddy's getting his license and well, my brother didn't fly either for a long time. This was probably nine or two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. We went from probably nineteen eighty six to two thousand and nine, two thousand eight, somewhere in there. No airplanes. Yeah, maybe ride with my uncle every now and then. He had a, I think he had an airplane. Uh, but really, neither one of us had flown. Dad kind of had. Dad, my dad had uh, bought a crop duster and. Uh, had a carb ice issue and crashed it on landing. Yeah. So he had quit flying. And uh, so, but my brother bought this airplane, uh, a Cessna 120, a 1946 Cessna 120, and got his pilot's license. 
Well, I was working for a, a, a law office as a property manager and economic crunch went through. I got laid off. And so I went and got a job at Central Flying Service in Little Rock as a line uh, service technician, which is basically the lowliest of low. Pumping gas. Pumping gas. Chalking tires. Chalking tires, towing airplanes in and out of the hangars, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So while I was there, my brother's cardiologist, he goes, hey, go get your pilot's license. I'm like, Okay. So I go over to Central Flight School and I start taking flying lessons in a uh, DA-20 Katana. That's what my uncle who got me going in aviation stuff, he flew the Tomahawks and the Katanas is, okay. is what he was doing. I got you. Uh, anyway. I did really good for Central. I had 89 hours when I took my <laughs> private check ride. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, <clears throat> I was the worst student pilot. Because I'd been in airplanes my whole life, and I get in there, and it's like, hey, I can do this. Took off. Right. And I can remember my instructor. Uh, I had, and the thing at Central, you go through several instructors because they get their hours, and then they go to the airlines. And they're Right. Uh, my, my last instructor was a guy named Greg Wigluski. He is a uh, Gulfstream G50 captain for Dillard's right now. Hmm. Uh, but his nickname was Wiggle Whiskey. <laughs> Uh, he, hey, he, flying with Wiggle Whiskey. So we landed, I think, at Carlisle or Hazen or someplace like that one day. And I said, okay, Wiggle Whiskey, let me show you how to, uh, I learned how to do a steep turn. So we take off the runway and we go out probably 50 feet off the ground. And I go out and I said, look, see this intersection of cornfields here? And I throw it up in a 90 degree bank and just roll it around. Perfect. Yeah. And he goes, why can you do it down here and not up in the eye? And I said, it's all reference point. I, I've never flown high my uncle this day he, he don't even like to get above 1500 feet he says he gets uh he's scared of heights or gets <laughs> altitude sickness or something so i got my privates and then uh, i worked at uh central for probably two more years and i would go out but while i was a student pilot i would get off work at two o'clock and i would go over and rent an airplane mm -hmm. and go take off flying after i soloed and just go and they're like you can't do that you you know you're supposed to follow the the lesson plan right and they said, well, what were you doing? I said, well, I was out doing steep turns and uh, turns around a point. And they're like, that's not, that's not. Well, you know, that's and that. So, yeah. But I can remember plateauing in my flying about 55, 60 hours. And then we kept going and going and going. And finally, I just told them, said, look, I'm either quitting central. You're going to sign me off to go take a check ride or I'm done. Why, why did it take so long to do that? I mean, you were just burning up extra time? Well, central has a, as long as you're willing to pay, they will keep milking you for instructor time and flight time. Gotcha. Uh, until you finally break down and say, I'm done. Yeah. So at 89 hours, they said, I'm done. Uh, I took my check ride with Rick D'Angelo, the DPE, and it, and it didn't even seem like a check ride. Rick, we got in the airplane and we just went out flying. He took me out and we were up and he, have you done stalls? Have you done this? He goes, have you ever done a spin? I said, yeah, I've done a spin. He says, well, how quick do you think I can get recover from a spin? I'm like a thousand feet. So he throws it in a spin and he does it in like half a turn and 500 feet and we're out. Yeah. I said, well, let me do one. So I go up and do one, and he gives me some pointers. And then he throws a uh, uh, the, the cover over the air, airspeed indicator. He goes, what are you going to do now? I said, man, you don't need that. I'm going to fly the airplane. You know, you pull the power back. It comes down. You start feeling it mushy. You mm -hmm. throw the nose over and everything. So I got my private pilots, and I've got, I don't know, that was in January 11th of 2014. Wow. Uh and now I've got about 1,300 hours. So you've had your license for 
just shy of 10 years. Yeah, about eight years now. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So, I mean, being around here on the field, it's always like, oh, yeah, Dane's, Dane's flown it. Hey, I got a such and such. Who can go? Oh, Dane's flown it. Oh, go go get with Dane. He's just, you know, the guy you go to for whatever. When I was getting my uh, my high performance in my my complex, I was like, I got the the 182RG that was over there. Yeah. And uh, I was like, man, I just need someone to go up with me just to kind of feel it out before I go do it. I'm like, well, go get with Dane. Let's go do it. It's like, oh, okay. How many planes have you flown slash owns? I mean, if you had to tally it up of the different types of aircraft you've flown, what number? 20, 25. Really? Yeah. But I'm really fortunate. Uh, and, and, and when I was a young private pilot, I was a lot braver than I am now because I would get anything and go fly it. Yeah. Uh, and then I, while I was working at Central, I met a guy named Paul Barre. And Paul Barre is the uh, chief pilot for Dr. Mason next door. And Dr. Mason used to keep his plane at Central. So we pulled it out every morning, filled it up, and I got to know Paul. And he he I, he knew my backstory. I had a college degree, and I was a you know had been laid off. So I'm working. He goes. He said, "Would you be interested in managing an FBO at Saline County?" And I'm mm-hmm. like, "Oh heck yeah, I would love to do that." So I gave him my resume, and that was like in April May. And then you know I'm like, hey, "Paul, what's going on?" He goes, "Well, the the." People at Saline County, they can't tell us how many airplanes they got or how much fuel they sell, and we can't put a business plan together to to take to our people to 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 form an FBO and all that. So, like in July, he came to me and said, "You won't believe it, but the uh, airport manager at Saline County resigned." So I put my resume together and I came to the August uh, commission meeting, and I sat there and they all talked and they said we got a guest. It was at the time it was down at the uh, county courthouse in one of the courtrooms. So I sat there and they we got a guest. What are you here for? And I said, well, my name's Dane Pruitt, and I heard your airport manager resigned, and I said I'm your guy, and I handed every commissioner a resume, and uh, I kept calling the. Uh, HR lady at Saline County. I didn't know her name at the time, but in hindsight now, it was Christy Peterson. Mm-hmm. So she goes, this job's not even open yet. We don't. I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, just you hang on to my resume, and when it comes open, I'm your man. Right. So anyway, I got hired in October 27th of 2014 as airport manager of Saline County. Wow. So for a guy that loves airplanes and loves aviation, I had a great job of where you got to hang out at the airport all day and got paid for it. Yeah. Kind of like you. What's uh, Yeah, exactly. Except you don't ever get to see the airport. <laughs> right. I get to see the inside. Uh, of the planes that you've flown, what's your what's your favorite? What's your what's the one that you've just kind of hit home? I mean, when you get into it, that's aviation for you. Uh, it's got to be my Cessna 120. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it was a 1946 Cessna 120. Uh, it was my brother's airplane. He had bought to learn to fly in. So he bought it and learned to fly. Well, while he was learning to fly, he had found. And this is kind of an interesting story, too. He had found a airplane that was in pieces in a barn in Texarkana. And he called me, and I was riding with my boss. I worked for a, a, an attorney named Gary Green that's from Texarkana. So anyway, we're riding down the truck, and I'm he, my brother calls me on the cell phone. He says, hey, I found this airplane in Texarkana that's uh, in pieces in a barn. I said, well, let me put you on speakerphone. And I said, hey, uh, 
Gary's from Texarkana. He goes, well, it's uh, used to be owned by some guy named Leo Schneider, I think was the name. And Gary goes, yeah, that was my dad's best friend. <laughs> and he had a bunch of airplanes. He got killed in a motorcycle accident or in some sort of accident, I don't know, in the 80s, 70s. And these planes have been sitting in a Just, shed ever since. Yeah. <clears throat> so my brother bought the Cessna 120. Spent way too much money, had it totally restored to better than factory new condition. Yeah. And then he sold his old airplane to his instructor after the new airplane was done. So the instructor had it for like three weeks. And they were in Camden with the student doing what they call high-speed taxi, where you pick up the tail and leave the wheels on the ground and taxi down the runway. Yeah. And they lost control and flipped the airplane Ooh. over. Wow. So we bought it from the insurance company for salvage and rebuilt it. Again? Again. Wow. And uh, my dad, we gave it to my dad, and my dad kept it in Osceola uh, for about eight years, and he flew it around and mm -hmm. flew it around until he got so old he didn't feel comfortable flying. And he said, son, I want to give you this airplane. I said, no, dad, I'll buy it from you, and I'll pay you $100. <laughs> so, I, uh. I, so I bought the airplane for $100. <clears throat> I haven't paid him yet, but... <laughs> But it's yours. It's my airplane. It's in well. It's in my hangar, and it's in my name. So man. So what I want to talk about now, and what I'm most excited about, and I think I'm most excited about it because I'm such a chicken pilot, right? I mean, we're gonna work on that, Alex. I know we have to. I mean, I was scared to death doing what we were doing, which I I know was nothing. But what did we do? Stuff that you'd be like, well, man, that's just normal. I mean, I know we went up and. The last words I remember was, let's see what she can do. We were doing chandelles or something. Lazy, I just remember you yeah, pulling it up and winging it over and all that, which is not how, I mean, we're <clears throat> always so, or I'm always so, just based to final, are we level, are we losing speed, are we this? I mean, it's just like, oh my goodness, are we going to fall out of the sky? And we're, and we're totally fine. <laughs> what I want to know about is your... And, and and don't hold back. Please don't hold back. I want a second-by-second, blow-by-blow repeat of some of the more uh, interesting moments in your aviation career. I mean, you are, hands down, what I hear, one of the best and craziest pilots around, right? No. And, and you, hey, you wouldn't, you wouldn't argue it. You know that. You know that that's true. But you've had a couple incidents, right? Yes, I've maybe, had some aviation incidents. Maybe three incidents, to be precise. Uh, maybe a little more than that. Okay. But, uh, so, so let's just start from the top and work our way down. If you had to pick one, uh, let me just start with out of my recollection, right? Uh, and I'm going to call this an aviation incident. My brother bought an airplane called a Myers 200. Myers 200. There's like 139 of them in the <clears> world built ever built and i think there's 71 left flying in the world they were built from 59 through 68 i think okay so he bought this myers 200 and the first year he owned it he gets a call from a guy named lou bigelow from durham north carolina and uh when i'm when he was looking to buy this airplane i went online and researched and i and i pulled up the registry list off of a FAA.gov of Myers 200s. There was three of them registered in North Little Rock. Wow. And I'm like, how in the world is this? So I got the owners and, and name uh, Ed Turnage and a guy named uh, Harold Settles. 
Well, come to find out, Harold was one. He was a APIA, and he was one of the top mechanics for Myers two hundreds in the country. So anyway, we called them and talked to them and became friends. And and this guy named Lou Bigelow had a Myers two hundred, and he had a really. Uh, he called my brother and said, "Hey, would you, do you take this Myers two hundred to the national convention and sell it for me?" And this was Jamin's first year of owning his Myers. He said, "No, I won't take it, but I'll get my brother to fly it up there." Well, I didn't have my high performance complex at that time, so <clears throat> me and my brother we go. So I said, "Sure." <laughs> so I said, "Sure." Right. So I go up there and we get the airplane. It had not been out of a hangar in over ten years. So we pull it out of the hangar, check it out. Everything looks fine. Crank it up. It runs. It has compression <laughs> and all that. And uh, me and my brother, we fly it back to Saline County. And then I get with our, one of our local instructors, Mike Williamson. Mm-hmm. And he checks me out, and I get my high-performance complex in that Myers 200. Got you. So I am here, and uh, we I've got the airplane. I've been flying it a well, little bit. So- what is, excuse my ignorance, what's the closest thing to a Myers that we can compare it to? In, in- uh, the Myers 200 was uh, built as the Bonanza Beater. Okay. So a Beechcraft Bonanza would be the closest thing gotcha. to it. Gotcha. Okay, okay. And that's the early Bonanzas, the uh, the F-33s, mm-hmm. the Debonairs, those uh, Bonanzas. Sure. Gotcha. So anyway, we get this, I get this Myers 200. The radios are junk mm-hmm. from 19... 19- 60s or 70s right. they're the old with the, the click, actual click click click, click, click. Yeah. click. yeah yeah gotcha. well they don't work so i am supposed to comes the the weekend to go to the national convention which is in a place called augusta kansas mm-hmm. right in the middle of the hub of the aircraft manufacturing so i get in the airplane and then there's a guy on the field his, his name was a senator he was a state senator named Jeremy Hutchison, and he was a pilot. He had a plane out here, and, and Jeremy needed a ride to Springdale. So I've got my little handheld radio, and I take off, and I'm talking to Little Rock, and uh, I didn't realize at the time that handheld radios only work for about five miles. Right. I take off. I'm talking. Well, I lose radio contact going to Springdale. Right. And... uh Summertime heat, cumulus clouds popping up. So there's thunderstorms popping up. I'm I'm dodging thunderstorms and flying around. Well, to dodge a thunderstorm, I can remember this real vividly. I'm about three, four thousand feet. And there's a thunderstorm, and I turn left and I I look down and I see Fayetteville Airport off my right wing. So I go out to the west and I circle back north. And about that time, the radio crackles and, hey, is this airplane with no radio contact? <laughs> I said, yeah, I've, I've been trying to call you. I've been calling you. And they said, we can hear you, but you haven't been responding. They said, you're cleared to Springdale, uh, cleared to land runway 18. Right. So I fly and we fly through a, 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 a rain shower. Mm-hmm. And land and land at Springdale, and the sun's out. But it, this airplane had been sitting in a hangar for ten years. It had dirt, dust all over it. So the rain shower washed all the dirt off. Yeah. And uh, Jeremy, he's like, he was a student pilot, so he was like, oh, that was so awesome, that's so incredible. <laughs> so anyway, we go to uh, me and my brother. We fly in formation two ship mm-hmm. to Augusta, Kansas that weekend, and we come down the runway at. These airplanes will fly about 220 miles an hour wide open. So we come down in formation and just for the 
for our entrance into the uh, to the national convention. This is the best episode ever. Nobody and nobody Here, knows who we are. Take so. a pause and take take a drink. I feel like you've been talking uh, for forever. I am kind of parched. We land and uh, the deal was I was supposed to put a for sale sign on this airplane and sell it at the. Uh, <laughs> the deal was. The deal was. So I get there and I get out and they give you a name tag. I write for sale on it and put my no- phone number on it and stick it in the window. <laughs> did you, are you joking? No. You really did that? I really did that. <laughs> it was an awesome airplane. The This was a C model Myers. There was uh, nine of them built yeah. ever. They went from A model, B model, built nine C models, and they immediately switched to a D model. And the only difference between the two is the C model had regular rivets and the d model had flush rivets okay believe it or not that doesn't make any difference in speed i could outrun my brother by maybe one mile an hour it would just slowly creep away from me wow drives him crazy my brother (laughs) hates to lose (laughs) so anyway we went to the national convention came back and on the way back we're freaking dog fighting and all this stuff and i get the plane back here and i call lou in south carolina i said hey i took it to the convention you know hopefully somebody will call and we'll sell it i said i'm gonna take it back up to your hangar in north little rock he goes i'll make you a deal you find a place to keep the airplane you can fly it all you want and you try to sell it i'm like Cha-ching. All right. Here I am in a super fast, retract, high-performance airplane. And and the reason he had brought it here is he took it to Mina Aircraft Painting and had it painted. Mm-hmm. Well, it got painted. He lost his medical. And uh, it sat in a hangar for 10 years. Never been moved. Uh, so I'm out flying it, buzzing around, doing that. And uh, one day... There's another instructor on the field named John Jones. Mm-hmm. John was going to take his CFI check ride, and he asked, "Hey, can I use the Myers? Not my airplane? Sure, go ahead. You pay the for the fuel. Here's my fee. Yeah, you know, here, let me ride with you." So he goes, "I'm and I, I need to get the logbook." So I called Harold Settles and uh, said, "Hey, Harold, can I get the logbooks for the plane? I got to scan them for a guy that's interested in buying it." Mm-hmm. And uh. He's in North Little Rock. John's uh, getting ready to take his check ride, but they have a the Central Arkansas Flying Club has an airplane four three one five Quebec, and their logbooks were at Country Air at the mechanic shop. He said, "Well, can we fly over there and get that?" And I'm like, "Sure." So we load up in this uh, Myers, dang it, two seven nine Mike, I believe it's the tail number. Some things you don't forget. <laughs> four seven nine Mike. Anyway. Uh, so we fly to North Little Rock, and uh, I, I zoom down the runway and do come back and land, pull up. Harold gives me the logbooks. We load up, take off, back, go to Country Air, down the runway at Country Air, land, taxi up, get the logbooks, taxi back out, take off, back over the runway, and then come back to Saline County. Uh, I can remember flying downwind turning base, turning base to final. Mm-hmm. And when I turn base to final, it's like, man, I'm too low. Or I'm sinking more than I think I should. Yeah. So I go to add full power and nothing happens. So I'm like, what in the world? Because, you know, you normally, you, you know, you go from a beam the numbers, you pull the throttle out and mm-hmm. you basically coast around and do your landing. 
So that's what I was doing. So I go to add some power and there's nothing there. And I remember reaching over and checking the mags and nothing happened. And about that time, uh, the gear was down. We were, I'm looking at the asphalt plant. If you're familiar with Saline County, which, yeah. you know, we were landing on runway two and there's a huge asphalt plant just to the south. So I'm looking at this asphalt plant going, oh, <laughs> Lord. And I don't know what to do. I mean, I'm, I put the thing in. So I reached down and I had full flaps. So I reached down and I can remember raising the flaps. Right. Well, it felt like we sank, but what happened is we sped up. Right. We cleared the asphalt plant. Okay. You know, what's behind the asphalt plant? Not much. Two big hills full of trees. Yeah. I'm looking at trees and they slip underneath the airplane and I'm thinking, oh man, I've cleared the hills. I can see the runway. I've got this made. And I come in and we're not going to make the runway. So I come in and I can remember coming in into the runway safety area and flaring. Yeah. And the stall buzzer going off and boom, you hit the ground. And it's a big cloud of dust just goes everywhere. And the airplane's like, and it slides to the right. And I straighten it up and it slides to the left. And while it's sliding sideways to the left, we hit a bump and it jumps up in the air and comes down and comes to a stop. And I'm like... Thank you, Lord. I'm on the ground. I'm alive. Uh, John jumps out of the airplane, gets down. We walk out. The prop has stopped sideways. Not a scratch or ding on it. You didn't prop strike in that whole thing. No prop strike. And uh, I walk around the airplane. But what happened is, is when I'd hit that bump sideways, it broke the nose wheel and spun it around backwards, and then collapsed, semi-collapsed the gear. And the airplane was sitting down on the uh, gear doors like that. Yeah. And I'm like, holy smoke, I'm alive. So naturally, we call some people. Uh, I'm the airport manager at the time, so I have to handle my own crash. <laughs> uh, John gets out. Uh, Let's call the manager. Oh. I am the manager. Oh. So the fire department shows up. The police show up. Because uh, at that time I was a, that was in August of 2015. I'd been an airport manager for less than a year. Oh. It was basically on the job training. Right. So anyway, we get that. I call, uh, there, I'd been eating, uh, there's a group of people at the end of the air, airport that have steak night every Thursday night. Mm -hmm. I'd been eating with them. One of those guys was a fellow named John Tanner, owns a record service out of Malvern. So I called John Tanner and I go, hey, we need to get this airplane. <laughs> I got a job. We got to get this airplane off the end of the runway. So he comes out. We jack the airplane up, fold the gear out. And uh, we get it like a steel bar and put it in between the gear so it won't collapse again. And then we tow it back to a hangar. Yeah. And then you have to make the call. Lou, hmm. I hate to tell you this. <clears throat> Someone called for your airplane. <laughs> but I uh, had an incident with your airplane. The motor quit and it. I had to land it short of the runway and it damaged the gear. So Lou's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's insured, this and that, this and that. Anyway, so then the FAA calls, and we call them, and they're like, okay, we need to come out in the morning and inspect the airplane. 
So I go home at night and I'm just trying to figure out why did the motor quit? Mm-hmm. Why did the motor quit? Well, the Myers has four 20 gallon fuel tanks, two mains, two oxes, all 20 gallon each. So I'm laying in bed at about one in the morning and I'm like, hmm. Oh. Did I switch to the fullest tank? <laughs> this is my nightmare. I don't think I can make it through this anymore. I need to. You need to have another drink. So anyway, I wake up at like <sighs> one in the morning and come out here and I look, I turn on the switch and I, it's, I look at the fuel gauge. It's on the right main. Okay. Okay. Well, when you're, when you're flying this airplane and you're doing touch and goes and flybys, it burns about 25 gallons an hour. Uh, oh, no. So I knew what happened at, at that moment. But the FAA is showing up at 8 o'clock in the morning. And you know what the FAA is going to do? They're going to search until they find a cause for the accident. And I thought, hey, I'm going to pour some gas in this tank. And then I thought, no, no, you just got to freaking eat crow and fess up. So the FAA guy comes out and he he inspects all the tanks. Well, there's gas in the three tanks and he looks in the right tank and he goes, there's no gas in this tank. Which tank were you on? I said, take a guess, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the right main. <laughs> anyway, Lou Bigelow, the aircraft owner, would not talk to me anymore. Oof. Radio Dude. silence with Lou Bigelow. And I'm here I am. I'm two young kids, airport manager working for the government, but not making any money. And I'm thinking I'm going to have to buy this airplane. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is the week before I'd shown it to a guy that was willing to buy it. Mm-hmm. And he was working with talking to Lou about buying the airplane. So they had negotiated a deal to buy the airplane. Well, since I messed up the airplane, deal was on hold. Sure. And I'm dealing, and I went through, I paid the hangar rent the whole time it was, uh, stored here as a crash not knowing that the insurance was technically paying for the hangar too ah uh, i got you i got you so i paid for it and then i paid the the uh 500 deductible mm-hmm. we called uh hampton aviation and mina to come fix the airplane so the day that hampton aviation come to pick the airplane up and uh take it back to mina my friend and the guy that uh Bought the airplane was a guy named uh, John Secor. Uh, his dad was Major General Richard Secor, which if you don't know who Major General Richard Secor is, do y'all ever heard of a thing called Iran-Contra and Oliver North? Major General Richard Secor was Oliver North's boss. So the week before, I'd been out flying with Major General Secor going, hey, shit, look what this airplane does. He's out doing Shondales and Lazy Eights. and right. I said, let me do some, teach me how to do those. Golly. So anyway, goes through three months, four months, and then like they're coming to pick it up. C-Cord's here. C-Cord calls, and he's been, it, it puts so much stress on Lou Bigelow. He And and Lou Bigelow was in poor health anyway. Mm. When you called him, he was from Durham, North Carolina, and smoked cigarettes his whole life. So he was on a breathing machine when you talked. I mean, it was like talking to Darth Vader. Dang. 
Dang. <clears throat> so Lou Bigelow passes away. Oh. Lou Lou has died. Lou has died. And the airplane is here. <clears throat> the widow, they're coming to fix it. Insurance is all that's all squared away when Lou dies. My friend John Secord uh, is talking to the widow, and Lou had left explicit directions that they are to sell the airplane to John Secord. So they are pulling the plane out of the hangar to take it away, and he calls and says, hey, I need to talk to that guy. And I hand him the phone, and he goes, I'm the new owner of the airplane. And he bought it, and he still owns it to this day. So Wow. And we're still good friends. Uh, John has just took a job flying seven six sevens for Amazon. Y'all and y'all, y'all still y'all stay, still stay in touch. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and and I've I raced him in twenty eighteen. My girlfriend has a F thirty three A Bonanza, and uh, we went to Oshkosh. And I've been doing a thing called the Air Venture Cup race. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, first time I did it, me and my my brother went to Oshkosh in twenty. 14, I believe. And he goes, man, you got to go to Oshkosh. It's so freaking fabulous. So we have this airplane back seats out and it's stacked to the top with camping equipment, coolers, clothes, everything you need for a week at Oshkosh. Right. He picks me up here on Friday afternoon after work and we fly to Mount Vernon, Illinois, about a two hour flight, get there about six o'clock and uh, nobody's at the airport. We're like, shit, what's going on? Well, they're having a uh, dinner party for the racers at Buffalo Wild Wings in Mount Vernon, Illinois. So we show up. Hey, where's all the racers? Oh, they're back there, and we there's a big long table and food, empty cans, and we're nobody. You know, we're walking around with some food, no place to sit. And finally, somebody goes, "Hey, y'all can come sit with us. Are y'all racing? Yeah, we're racing." Well, it was John Secor. That's how we met him, and uh. We drink all night and party down and have a good time. We get up and at the Air Venture Cup race on the Saturday at Mount Vernon, they have a open house for the airport and invite all the public and everybody preps their race planes for the race on Sunday. So everybody's prepping their planes and we're out there and we see people taping up the cowling and taping up all the air vents and changing out parts and we're like, what? what's all this going on so we start we get some tape (laughs) okay we're shoot we're in it secor comes up hey man uh we're a little overloaded can you take some luggage yeah man throw give give us your bags we'll throw them in our plane no problem go out saturday night and everything's ready so we take off saturday morning and and the key to the air venture cup race is you leave mount vernon you cross a few way about four or five waypoints, and you land at Wausau, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So we run the race, and we're—I mean, you're on the deck, and we're pretty—and we're pretty conservative. We're at like a thousand feet AGL. Okay. Well, there's a experimental, very easy, uh, long, easy airplane passes underneath us, and I said, "Jamin, just follow that airplane. He's just slowly creeping off from." So we follow this airplane for like two hours. And he just walks off and leaves us. We run our race and we land and they don't give you the results. So Sunday night, they at that time it was either Sunday night or Monday night, 
there's a place in outside of Oshkosh, and it's Wentz's Fish Restaurant or whatever, where they have the winner's banquet. Right. So we're sitting there, and our class comes up. We're in Factory 6, which is a factory-produced aircraft with 285 or more horsepower with retractable gear. And there was like four people in the class, and they're calling out third place, and they call out second place, and they go, this is the closest race in Air Venture Cup race history. There's a difference of two seconds and two-tenths of a mile an hour. And second place goes to uh, Bobby Bennett, and he'd been racing forever. So we're me and Jamie are looking around. I wonder who got first place. <laughs> no so we won first place, our first time out in no the, kidding. the Air Venture Cup race, and uh, pretty pretty cool. Made us made us racers. Then all the racers well, love us. Uh, could you tell? Was that the the experimental? That no no no. What was he? I mean, if it, if it was that close, did you see that guy? I mean, well, I, I guess he'd be behind you. No, but I, I you don't. Never... Ever, I don't ever remember seeing him. He was flying a VTL Bonanza, and, and he was A and P IA mechanic, and he. I can remember him on taking off. He had a smoke kit on his airplane, so he would like line up and just blow the smoke ah. in everybody's face and take off. Safe. Uh, but we won that race, and it's like holy smoke, we're racers. Well, we didn't. We had went to camp out. Well, when you're a racer, there's special race parking at show center. Mm -hmm. So we were parked in race parking, and it's like, well, where do you camp at? And everybody's like, well, you know, but there's they have a tent set up at show center for the air venture cup race well every night they would close the tent down <laughs> everybody would leave we would pull our camping supplies and cots out and we'd go in the race tent and camp out <laughs> all night. sleep in the racing tent sleep in the race tent well the next morning it's like <laughs> what are y'all guys doing here <laughs> don't worry we're the winners it's we're, it's cool we're supposed to be here they, they realized who it was wow that's amazing. What, uh, what did the guy say? The uh, the the A and P guy with the with the V. You know, uh, he was a little bitter, but yeah, was he not, not too bad? Uh, he went back out to. Uh, he was in uh, Pagosa Springs, Colorado, is where he lived. He went out and started modifying his airplane and doing some engine modifications to make it run better. And mm -hmm. uh, his motor blew up, and he got killed in a plane crash the year later. Jeez. Oh, I have to circle back. What all did you nonchalantly tape up because everyone else was taping it up? Uh, well, what you do is you tape like the the where your cowlings and your lines meet together. You tape up your air vents on your wings. So you made up your own little gap filler. Yeah, space gap fillers. I got you. Uh, wow. I, I saw them putting tape on the rudder where the rudder would flex, but it wouldn't have any gaps in it. I mean, yeah. uh, wow. so the next year we did the race again. I flew my brother's 19, me and my dad flew my brother's 1946 Cessna 120. So the Air Venture Cup race every other year goes from Mount Vernon, Illinois one year. And then to be kind to the folks from the West Coast, it goes from uh, Mitchell, South Dakota back to Wausau. So my brother was flying his Myers 200 and I was flying the 1946 Cessna 120. Mm -hmm. And uh, I my dad came down here and I loaded my dad up and all our camping equipment for a week in the Cessna 120 in July 23rd, 110 degrees. And 
we everything was stacked up. We had to sit on our pillows to get everything in the airplane. And I can remember taking off and bouncing down the runway. <coughs> 85 horsepower Cessna 120. And uh, so we fly from here to Springdale where my brother lives. And then I unload all that stuff and put it in the Myers 200. So me and dad get up at daylight, get in the 120. And this uh, beautiful thing about the Cessna 120, it had a little uh, Garmin Era 560 with XM radio in it. So I put it on 50s on 5 and me and dad headed out. And we flew to South Dakota got there and uh landed went to the bar and had all our festivities and stuff and then the next day they have an open house too mm-hmm. well i call it my redneck flight suit i wear a pair of overalls and a t-shirt and some sandals <laughs> with a cowboy hat <laughs> with a cowboy hat because on you know how it is out on a, how it is out on an airport ramp you get sunburned really bad right. so i'm walking around mitchell south dakota and they think i'm a they think i'm a local corn farmer Oh, gosh. I, I wonder why. I don't know why, but I'm wearing Birkenstocks or something like that. Too, oh, so, that makes it you know. all better. We, we They should have known. Yeah, overalls and Birkenstocks. <laughs> anyway, 2016, I won the Air Venture Cup race in a Cessna 120. Mm. I think I'm the still hold the world's record as fastest Cessna 120 at 121 miles an hour. Whoa. Uh, I beat a guy. He writes a uh, uh, article for General Aviation News named William Dubois. Him and his son were flying an air coupe, and I beat him. I don't, I don't know, eleven minutes or something like that. Wow! But the thing about air racing, most everybody stays real close to the ground. Mm-hmm. There's a lady named uh, Linda Eli, and she is a champion air racer. She has won every kind of air race and she flies a grooming cheetah mm-hmm. and she caught me walking out to my airplane she goes dane we've been checking the weather you need to go high there's a great tailwind high <laughs> so i take off in my cessna 120 <laughs> and when i get to the end of the runway i freaking stand on its tail and i'm like <laughs> and everybody's looking at me what the hell is that idiot doing yeah. i get to as high as it would go 7500 feet and just turn it over and catch the tailwind and zoom so wow won it in 2017 or 2016 2017 my dad and i fly the myers 200 that my brother owns came in second place because my dad got hot and at our fuel stop he reached up and grabbed all the uh uh tape off the air vents and said boy if you don't get some altitude and cool me down i'm gonna kill you <laughs> so i climbed altitude and anyway it cost you the race cost me the race oh. and then in 20 18 i flew with my girlfriend jan green and her bonanza and uh she had just put in all this brand new garmin avionics gfc 500 autopilot we're racing against john secord airline captain uh ross warner and his son ross warner the third airline captains uh kent atchison he owns a Myers 200, raced three Myers 200s and a guy named Fred Rocher who invented a, he owns a company called 51 Aero that invented the engine monitoring systems that all the racers at Reno use. And he's flying a G36 Bonanza. So me and Jan take off and we're in, in Mount Vernon that year again. 
and I have her out there and, and I have her scrubbing the bottom of the airplane and waxing the bottom. I said, baby, everybody thinks the top of the wings is what makes speed, but all the high pressures on the bottom, you got to get the bottom of the wings really clean and fast. She hates me to this day for that. But anyway, we, uh, take off on the Sunday morning and we run the race and there's a cloud bank and we can hear, and we're on a race frequency where all the racers are talking on the same frequency. And we can hear everybody climbing. Ah, the top of the cloud bank's at 2,500. You can climb over the top and get on top and et cetera. We're at 1,000 feet. And I said, baby, no. And then I could hear people talking, and it's like 10 miles wide, the cloud yeah. bank. I said, we're staying. And uh, all this GFC's terrain, terrain, obstacle, yeah. obstacle. So I said, we hit the cloud bank oh, gosh. and we go along probably, I mean, it was like maybe five, 10 minutes in the cloud bank and boom, we pop out the other side. Oh, not where I thought that was going. So when we pop out the other side, you see all these windmills. Oh gosh. And I said, hey, babe. Hang on. You see all these windmills or you see all these You windmills? see all these windmills. Right. I said, hey, babe, look at all those windmills. So we lower down. I'm like, hey, get down low. <sighs> we'll make them go faster. We'll go faster. The lower you get, the more manifold pressure you create, the faster you can go. So we were just zooming along and uh, we end up winning that race. So my girlfriend, Jan Green, is uh, one of the – first female winners of the air venture cup race wow wow so she, she flew a excellent race but we didn't know we'd won it because we had four airline pilots and a freaking right uh reno air racer well anyway okay so <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. my racing career that's the racing career which uh, we can come back to so so circle back to incidents um, uh, the myers 200 was my first incident that is, one then the airplane i'm flying now from my dad uh, I won't really call it an incident because nothing really happened. But when I went to pick it up, it has a fuel selector that says left, we go with the fuel right, <laughs> both. It's a major topic in my life. So anyway, I picked this plane up from Osceola and the right tank has a leak in it. And I know it has a leak, but it's at the top of the fuel tank. And it, if you fill it all the way up, it leaks down to a certain point, and then it stops leaking. Okay. So I'm like, I top off the, the tanks, and I know I have to burn off the right tank until I to burn it down below the leak. And I'll burn the right tank off first, and then I'll switch to the left tank. Okay. So I take off, and I'm like on the right tank, and there's a thing that says both and i'm not paying a whole lot of attention so i switched to both motor dies i'm like damn it what's going on here? <laughs> not again i switch it back to left tank i'm flying along so i finally i'm bringing from ocl it's an hour and a half flight it comes back on it, the motor cranks back up okay and i'm and i've been circling the i'd spiraled up above the airport because my dad hadn't flown the plane in a couple of years and when i pulled the plane out of the hangar uh yellow jackets flew out of the gear leg <laughs> and then a uh, mouse ran out of the tail and i ran down i ran the mouse down and killed the mouse on the ramp oh, no. so i'm in this airplane waiting for a mouse to come jumping out or some yellow jackets to start come bubbling up i got a can of hornet spray with me so I fly it back here, and I'm like, okay, dang it. Uh, that fuel that fuel thing on the right tank is stopped up from 
uh, Yellow Jackets. Yeah, well, <clears throat> and the nickname of this airplane is Dirt Diver. Great. Because when after we got the airplane from Camden, we took the wings off and trailered it back to my dad's house. And we set the wings in a storage unit and left them there. And then finally, like a year, year I don't know how much later, dad called me and said, hey, I'm ready to put this airplane together. Come help me. So I picked the wings up to help him. It's a high wing airplane. I picked the wing up. Well, freaking dirt divers fly out everywhere. Uh. We hooked the wings up and you can hear all the mud falling inside. Okay. You know, dad's raised by crop duster, so... Not a big that deal. Don't, that don't bother him at all. Right. So anyway, when I get the airplane, you know, we... Okay, there's a dirt dobbers made a nest in the fuel tank, fuel lines clogged, something's wrong. I fly it back. I unhook the... Uh, I empty... I drain the tank, and I unhook the line from the tank, and I clean it all out. I unhook the line from the uh, fuel selector, and I blow it all out. Nothing comes out. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? So I hook it all back up at the wing, and I'm sitting there and i'm hooking it up at the fuel selector and i look at it and it goes left right both and then underneath both it says off <laughs> so this whole time i've been shutting the fuel off <laughs> and you're like idiot <laughs> i wonder why it's turning off literally turning it off wow i'm literally turning the fuel off but nothing happened. Nothing Still. happened. Got the plane back here. No problems. No issues. <laughs> I fly the plane like that for probably a year. Oh. No, not to fill the wing tank up. Fly off the, you know, whatever. So anyway, I've got a friend that has a uh, airport up in Jacksonville and laying out in a big pile of grass and weeds or two fuel tanks. Oh, well, actually, there's two Cessna 120 fuselages like look like they've been uh chopped right after the cabin mm -hmm. and just nothing but a cabin yeah so there's two fuel tanks laying out there and i'm gonna go those are cessna 120 fuel tanks can i have them? oh yeah if you want them dig them out of the weeds get them so i pull them out of the weeds and clean them up and pressure test them they don't leak and i'm like oh good i'm so i go reinstall a new fuel tank in my cessna 120 this is a, a great story. My girlfriend has an F-33A Bonanza she bought, mm -hmm. and uh, the avionics were messing up. So she went and spent a lot of money and had a whole new Garmin glass panel put in it. Okay. The uh, glass panel, well, we don't want to discuss how much. It's a lot of money. <laughs> how, much, how much did you say? We'll just call it six figures. How about six figures? Well, she spent that on the original. And then <clears> she spent another seventeen on the uh, to get it geez. checked out by Central Flying Service. Well, uh, five hours after Central Flying Service checked it out, the had a total electrical failure, and she bellied the airplane in. After the avionics went in. Yes, yes. Well, the whole avionics story—that's a whole another separate podcast. <laughs> this is right. Uh, so anyway, we <clears throat> we get the airplane and uh thank god i'm here right now and drinking whiskey because my good friend justin tackett come to see me monday afternoon before thanksgiving and uh hey dane I, I can't remember what the conversation was about he comes and sees me well then he texts me monday night 
dang, I just tested, I got my COVID test back and I'm positive. <laughs> so I had plans to go visit my mom and dad who were 79 and 80 and I'm just like, I can't get around them. So we cancel all our Thanksgiving's plans. My girlfriend's sister had made us a beautiful Thanksgiving picnic basket. Mm-hmm. So we fly to Petty Jean Mountain, land at Petty Jean, taxi down to the far end where the right. picnic area is, and uh, the gate's locked. You can't get into the picnic area. So You mean the, the gate for the pilot's picnic area, yeah. exclusively for pilots? Yeah, it's locked. locked. Great. Uh, so we can't get in the picnic area. So we have a picnic out on the ramp out there. and uh, That works beautiful picnic and we walked the runway and back because i'm fat and ugly and i uh, need some exercise and she'd flown up there and landed at petty jean she goes do you want to fly home and i'm like oh yeah i'd love to fly home i said let's just wait and watch the sunset and we'll fly home tonight and she's like no we're not going to fly at night so we leave like 30 minutes before sunset mm-hmm. take off uh runway to the north okay and uh i take off you know we do a i do a full run-up this airplane has just gotten out of uh, maintenance with 17 hours on the motor. Okay. Brand new motor. Out of a major overhaul. Major overhaul <clears throat> from the gear up landing, et cetera, et cetera. So we take off to the north, and I don't know if you know what you do when you take off to the north at Petty Jane. Yes, I experienced that this last time. <clears throat> you take the scenic departure. You, you go over the bluff. It's a, what, 2,000-foot drop? Yeah, and you see all of it. Well... Normally, normally you push over and dive. Right. Well, about the time I got ready to push over, boom, oil all over the windscreen. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, so there's oil everywhere. I can't see anything. I'm thinking a prop governor or a front engine seal had popped. Right. And uh, so I start calling Mayday, Mayday. And I think I'm on... How how high were you at this at this point? I'm probably 500 AGL above Petty Jean Airport. I'm probably 1500 2000 MSL. Right, and you're right at the drop. I'm at I'm at the drop. Okay. Uh, I didn't push over. Right. So I hold my altitude, and there's oil all over the windscreen. And there's a little bitty section about the size of this cell phone down in the bottom left hand corner. But I'm familiar with the area because my previous boss, the Gary Green guy, Mm -hmm. has a cabin, basically an A-frame cabin straight off the end of the runway from the Petty Jean Airport. Yeah. I'd spent 10 years up there. So I'm like right there and I'm like, okay, I can go back to Petty Jean and there's nothing. Not a car, not a soul, no cell phone reception, or I can turn right and go to Moralton. There's bean fields the whole way Mm -hmm. being raised by crop dusters. If the motor quits, I will land in a bean field. So I get my girlfriend, Jan. I said, hey, and we've got electronic instrument gauge. I said, watch this oil pressure gauge. And if it starts dropping, you just read me the oil pressures. I'm calling Mayday and I'm flying to Moralton. So she's reading the oil pressures and the oil pressure never drops. It's like started at 54. It was down to like 48. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, I'm, what's, I, I can't figure out why the oil pressure's not dropping. So the airplane's flying. Now, at one point, I reach up, and I'm going to adjust the throttle and, and the settings on the engine. And I thought, no, I'm, this thing's running. I'm not touching nothing. Yeah. 
So we're flying across, and it's the longest six minutes of my life. So we fly, and we're going, and then all of a sudden, you, you you're on one side of the river, you're on the other side of the river, but it's all farm fields. Mm-hmm. And then you get to a section just to the west of the Moralton Airport, and you kind of have to fly across town about two miles. And I look up, and the voltage is dropping. It's down to twenty four volts. Well, what caused the gear up landing was a loss in electrical, and it's got an electric gear motor that lowers the gear oh. and i'm like no this is not going to happen so i lower the gear yeah three greens i'm like dang it <laughs> this is awesome so I, we keep flying and i see the uh uh airport and i'm like i'm lined up on final i'm like oh i'm we're gonna make it you know i don't want to get too confident mm-hmm. and I, somebody comes on the uh radio and it's like hey dane we see you for some reason i have a People recognize my voice on the radio. I don't understand why. Interesting. Must be the West Coast accent. Uh, so anyway, we come in and we land at the Moulton Airport. And the airplane rolls all the way down to the end because I wasn't pulling nothing out of it. Right. Until I was like over the numbers. And I finally pulled the throttle out. And we rolled all the way out. And it go, and I taxi off into the, the runway. And I literally shut the motor down. Yeah. Uh, guy pulls up and he's like, there's oil everywhere. He opens up the cowling. There's a hole that big around in the engine case. And, uh, I'm like, holy smoke. And another guy reaches back and he pulls up and he goes, and it, it, there's a rod out of the number six cylinder that pushes the piston up and down. Oh, here's your number six rod that got through out of the case. Whoa. So, and then somebody else checks and goes, there's like a tablespoon of oil left in this motor. If you'd have went another 30 seconds, it would have seized up. Yeah. So. So why, you have a hole in there. Why why is there no pressure drop? Like what's. I don't understand it. It Continental designs these motors. They, they are designed to blow up. To have a problem. To have a problem. Wow. So. Jeez. <clears throat> Yeah, that would that would be the scariest. Had any of it moved off the windshield while you were flying at all to help with the visibility? No, no. It, it was just... I was basically IFR the whole way. Yeah. Good grief, including landing. But I knew where Moralton Airport was, and I was familiar with the area. So, right. And I knew there was a great mechanic on the field named Joe Melton. So uh, if I would went back to Petty Jean, you know, your airplane would have been stuck on Petty Jean. Yeah, you can't even enjoy the picnic area. I mean, what good is that? Hey... I need a set of lock cutters for the picnic area. I'm telling you, that is one of my pet peeves is go to Petty Jean and you can't, you know, there's a beautiful public restroom there. Oh, yeah. Can't get to can't it. Can't get to it. Right on the other side. Right wow. on the other side. Uh, before we before we close out, we have to do the traditional. I need you to write your name across here. And All I can date. say is that's only that's only half empty. That's true. Well, well. At the end of the next podcast, it'll be completely empty. And that's a wrap. Thanks for being on, brother.